and welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gretnan. And, you know, while, of course, I look and sound so lovely and youthful, I have been around to see this whole crazy transition of the digital age and just the way brands got their message and experiences out has changed such such seismic shifts over the last 20 years or so. It's just been incredible to witness. And my guest today, Benoit Vittieri, has also witnessed and, in fact, been an impetus behind a whole lot of these changes and how brands get the word out. So today we are taking a nice little journey back through time to, you know, just before the turn of the century, late 90s, Web 1, and what cutting-edge brands, including the ones Benoit himself was working with, uh, were doing with Web 1 to get brand messaging out. Then we, of course, shift to Web 2, social media, mobile phones, smartphones, all of that. It's just we talk about Flash, for those of you who remember that program before the dawn of the iPhone killed it, and just how it really shifted the way brands were able to have experiences with their audiences and how that really shifted branding from being kind of a read-only experience in Web 1 to the Web 2 era of much more interaction, much more data flying around. Then Benoit takes us into Web 3. Now, those of you who listen may know that I am not myself such an expert in Web 3, but Benoit really makes it clear. He really makes some incredible points today about Web3, what it is, what it isn't, and especially how it can connect to physical experiences. Because when it comes down to it, we are all still existing here in the physical world. And smart brands, including the ones Benoit and his company, Mammoth Media, are working with, are figuring out ways that they can utilize Web3 technology and real-life in-person tangible events to create experiences that really create a, a fuller experience of the brand. So, let's travel back in time. Now, what is a brand if nobody sees it, hears about it, experiences it, right? So, with today's guest, we're going to talk about how the vehicles of branding have changed over the years. And today's guest certainly has seen it all. Benoit Vittieri has been a serial entrepreneur for like at least 20 years, building different brands and products. He is currently the CEO and founder of Mammoth Media, and he's absolutely at the cutting edge of new ways that brands are reaching their people and providing experiences, both in the digital world and the physical world, and even somewhere in between. So without any further ado, let's bring on Benoit. Hello, Benoit. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Christine. Thanks for being here. I love that you have kind of run the gamut of all these different ways that brands can reach people, because it really has, you know, there's always been progress, but I feel like the past five years or so, five to 10 years have been just this massively accelerated change in how brands are reaching people with the digital revolution. Now we're getting into Web3, all of this stuff. Um, so actually, first, let's roll back a little bit. I'd love to hear you guide us through kind of a little bit of your journey and, and how you got started in this in this industry and sort of what the vehicles were for branding 
at that point when you got started? What what were you really working on for people uh, at the start? Yeah, for me, I mean, we talk about Web3 those days, but I, I, I'm a Web1 guy. I started, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000. And so what we had, I was, it was print and mostly digital through desktop experience. So it was websites. It was, you know, those days of Flash. How can we make things fancy on a, on a website? How we can provide brand experience in some ways when it was not even interactive, when the brand couldn't receive feedback through, through a website, but just push messaging out. So that's how I started and obviously evolved quite a bit over the last 20 years to say the least. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Those early website days when everyone had like the gray background, <laughs> like a typewriter yeah. text. Oh man. Yeah. And nothing else, just content to read. And sometimes on your browser, you had to install this thing, Flash, yeah. which nobody quite understood what it was. And then when you finally had it installed, it was taking forever to load because the connection was that good. The sites were heavy. Yeah, we came a long way. <laughs> I remember back in those early days at the turn of the century, I hated Flash. I thought Flash websites were so annoying because yeah. even if I tried to keep my Netscape up to date, yes. you know, the fact is it still That's always right. said must install Flash plugin. And I'm like, why are you doing this? And it was so slow. And it was usually just some dumb animation, you know, while exactly. I waited to get to what I wanted to get to. The great irony is then in 2006, I fell in love with a Flash developer. <laughs> oh, is he, Th is he this, still developing Flash? This was paid for <laughs> by, by Flash work. However, of course, uh, you know, when, when the when Apple and the iPhone, you know, Flash incompatible, mm -hmm. that essentially killed Flash. So thankfully he had transferable skills. So he's no longer a Flash developer. Yes. <laughs> Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs made a point of killing Flash. He, he oh, definitely man. did. And everyone yeah. said to him, you know, are you going to go learn another programming language? And he's like, no, I came to Flash as a graphic mm -hmm. designer. I don't really want to learn anything else. He's, yeah. he's a program manager now. But anyway, yeah, oh, good. <laughs> those early days, it's so fascinating to think back on those early days of the web and how brands didn't really know what to make of it, especially late 90s. I feel like in the early 2000s, there was a very fast ramp up, but they didn't know what to do. What, what did you see in that time as the early brands to get on the Web1 bandwagon? What were they doing with it back then? I mean, that was very interesting because they were coming from a lot of, obviously, print that was, was out there. Billboards, uh, newspaper, uh, some TV, obviously. So when it was static, it was not even video yet. They thought about a web page as they thought about a billboard. As they thought about uh, a cover of a, of a magazine. So it was really about communicating a message. Uh, and he was, he was trying to get to the point as quickly as they could with few words. So really like a, a billboard or, or center page in a magazine. That's how they look at it. And of course, we now know that the digital age has ushered in, you know, so much ability to use digital branding tools. As you said at the beginning, you know, Web1, it was just like a billboard. It was essentially advertising. I'm sure it was just kind of product and message based. What do yeah. you feel? Um, when do you feel and how do you feel 
digital media sort of turned into more of a branding tool where brands understood this isn't a billboard. This is something where we can communicate a different kind of experience of the brand versus just being a billboard for our products. Can you identify any particular elements of that shift? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's a succession of events. I mean, in the web one world is when, when start, things starting to evolve and going beyond static. So as you start playing with video players, when the video players came, the JW player of the world were able to get in a page, we're starting to get a lot more branding in the mix because you could communicate a lot more. You could share an experience a lot better, very similar to what you were doing on TV, but now you could have it on the computer as well. So that was the first thing, but then, you know, and and we got a lot of tools and then it started to become advertising became more prominent around content. So it was all about contextual advertising and be able to communicate and having something that resonates well with what you are reading on the web page. But I think the biggest move after that was when we went from web one to web two, which is which means that's the beginning of the word that we still use, which is engagement. And the ability to have viewers, consumers be able to interact with the brand through comments, through likes, through a lot of things that started on the web then evolved into mobile. But I think that that was the biggest thing is the ability to interact with content, which was not in web one, which but it, this is what defines web two. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard I've heard it phrased as web one was read only, web two is read and write, and web three is read, write and own. But we'll get to that yep. part. I love how you mentioned the rise of contextual advertising, because, of course, in the early days of the web, there was this idea of the Internet is free. And then at some point, brands and content creators, the early content creators kind of realized, wait, first of all, hosting costs money. (laughs) But, you know, there's money to be made here on the web. So in addition to contextual advertising, which by the way, I would love for you to tell us more about how they were doing contextual advertising in the late days of web one and early days of web two, but also um, how the internet as a money-making device outside of e-commerce really, really started to happen. What, what did you see happening at that point? And I assume right now we're talking kind of early 2000s, right? I think that's where we are in our learning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, like mid 2000, I think at this what I've seen, and when it comes to contextual, it was driven obviously mostly by Google and Overture, which became Yahoo, and it's all around keyword. And as we start getting smarter, developing websites, we're able to understand what keywords were on the sites, and we start building ad servers that could have some logic. If most of the keywords are around beverage, then why not serve a ad for Coke? Right. So that's, that's how I've seen using it is brands were starting to think, what uh, content do I want to target around what content do I want my brand to be around? Which also led to a lot of other things, which is what content do I not want to be around? There's been a lot of brand safety that started to trigger around that time as well. So it was, it's what I've seen the most is understanding. What do I want to run my brand? What do I want to be surrounded by? And also after that is, was what those ads should be so people can not only read the brand, but take action and then I can send them to my website. 
where I can share more information. I can engage them with coupons, with a lot of things in the early days, right? So that's, that's how I've seen leveraging contextual the most. It was through Google AdSense and, uh, and, and search, what do we call search, right? So it was not only on Google.com, but also leveraging AdSense to push your content. And in addition to all of that SEO stuff, there's also the rise of the creator. And that, I think, is what kind of helps bring us also from web one to web two, because suddenly, instead of having to be a brand, and I mean, I remember when I, I started college in 1998, and I was blown away by the fact that I could have my own website. And it was yep. just random. It didn't have to bring value to anyone. It certainly was never going to be monetizable. It was literally just, you know, the only people on earth who would be interested in it were my friends. But this idea that I, just this random person, could have my own website just to talk about the stuff that I cared about was pretty mind-blowing. And obviously then came, you know, the rise of bloggers and people who could monetize. And then social media, of course, became a huge boon for them. So let's go into Web 2 and some of the early hallmarks of Web 2 and how brands were able to use it and how brands were able to stand up alongside this new crop of web creators. And what were brands doing with Web 2, the brands that were kind of on the cutting edge? Because I know that's who you've always worked with. You've always worked on the cutting edge. So. What were cutting edge brands doing in early web two, but before maybe proper social media? Yeah, I mean the, the early web two, I would say, was what you mentioned is is creating content where people could comment or could add to the content that was already created. So the the early days of Blogger, which was acquired by Google, which is also super interesting that the founder of Blogger was Eve Williams, which was now the founder of Medium which now is still another platform that is leveraged by bloggers and creators. But it was pretty, before the days of social, when, you know, all the, let's call it the MySpace and Facebook started to come into play. It was all about creating content, engaging people to comment, to share. Like if we talk about food, there was a lot of content around food and asking people to share recipes or to share ideas about what to cook or those kind of things. That was the first time that brands were thinking that way. And instead of thinking, well, let me talk about my brand. Let's more, let's do, let's talk about the topic or the vertical that I'm in. And let's maybe become a thought leader. And so it doesn't have to be branded and I'll bring the brand in the content through, let's call it product placement. If I stay in the, in the food cooking category and I have a website that is all about recipes, guess what? I can probably bring my products in the mix when I share recipes. So that was the early days of leveraging content and engagement to bring the content in front of consumers. And I love your point about thought leadership and content marketing. There has always or has long been some form of content marketing. I mean, we've all seen, you know, old timey brands who, you know, sponsored a story contest or Soap operas were a weird sort of form of content marketing in a sense back in the day. But this this, true. this really brought content marketing and the the value of thought leadership kind of to the forefront. And I love how you pointed that out. Then, of course, we get to around 2007, 2008. Yeah. We have iPhones. And I know you did a lot with that. So tell me how how that 
started and how it has evolved because I know that there's been it's only been since 2007 that we've had iPhones and of course you know other smartphones weren't really around except for you know Palm and Blackberry not really smartphones so what did that do for for branding I mean, for messaging and and for the work that you've done with cutting edge brands yeah it's it, it was it's wild. I remember those days. I was actually working with a couple big publishers that were seeing a lot of shift in traffic patterns where people, where 90% of their traffic was desktop and now it's 30% desktop, 70% mobile. So even before the apps showed up, it was all about mobile web. And how can we build now? We have our website. How can those websites be? more engaging and and fit well a screen which at those you know in the early days of the iphone was a big deal but still a, a fairly small screen and so because before there were like tons of apps the only thing that you have on your iphone was mostly safari with the browser so it was already quite a shift for both brand and publishers to think about how to display content how to engage now what kind of ad units do we need to create that are engaging and, you know, that's when the big days of full screen and trusticial ability to take over the entire screen, which all brands really liked a lot, but then starting to dislike because it was very a big interruption. And so now that may, may, may look, the brand may not look that good to interrupt the experience that you have as a user. So there was already that big shift. And then obviously the app store opened. Steve Jobs made a point to kill Flash and then created his own store where you could distribute flat, where you could distribute apps. And that was like, now, okay, we all need an app. That was a big thing from the brands. I remember. And, and the same thing happened in web one. Now with the app store is like, let's get our app. Even if there's not an ad value, we need to have a app, an app. The same way we say we need to have a website. And a lot of apps at the beginning were not, especially branded apps were not good. And brands very quickly moved away from having their own. And you don't see much brands except like hardcore B2C brands that needs to have an interaction for loyalty, all those things. But now they rely, as they were at the beginning, it's a lot of content. So it was content-based apps. Obviously, it started with gaming. The content was game. And now brands are like, do I want to advertise in a game? Maybe not. But then content started to come up in news apps. And then we started to interact with more entertaining apps. And that's where I did a lot. I, I built a lot of apps that were just all about content, storytelling, or even like simple apps where it was just about voting. Do you prefer doing this or that? And that content actually attracted brands because they wanted to be part of entertainment. The same way you're on TV and you are within the show it was like, well, now I'm on I mean, in apps, people are in this app and interact with the content. Can I get my brand in between? Can I get my brand first? We all talk about ads and it was an interruption, but then how can I integrate my apps, my brand natively in the content? How can it be native, native integration? So we start talking about native ads. That was a big word about maybe like 10 years ago, but that's, that's how I've seen things evolving and, and as we were moving into social media. It's really interesting because, of course, in the world of print, there have always been advertorials, which are, you know, yeah. they have to be labeled. I think back in 
like back before either of our times, they probably didn't have to be labeled. But of course, if you're reading a magazine and something has been paid for, now it's an advertorial. Then it became, as you said, the ads on websites. And now it's content specific, it's context specific stuff on apps. Around this time is also when social media really started in earnest. I mean, if, if we're really going to the origins of social media, I suppose you could say things like chat boards and AOL were sort of the earliest forms of a type of social media. But I mean, I'm going to go with the beginning of social media as being more like the Friendster, Facebook, MySpace invasion there. Um, yes. And at the beginning, brands couldn't use that, right? At the beginning, no. there were yeah. no brand branded. There weren't ads for brands, except there may have been ads kind of like there were for websites, but not really the same way they are now. And there certainly weren't brand profiles or pages. So what were brands doing in those early days before they were able to do all they're able to do now when these platforms were just for people? How were brands figuring out a way in because i know they were doing it and i know you were part oh, yeah. of it <laughs> oh yeah I, I remember those days so well on on facebook especially where brands couldn't do much brands couldn't buy me yeah brands didn't have like you know the the verified business page but it was all it was all at this point especially brands that were sinking ahead it was all about okay oh i need to capture that audience and it was the same thing as when i was talking earlier about blogs, it was like, let's create pages that are about the topic that our brand fits in. And I remember working for a lot of brands, building their Facebook pages and growing the audience on those Facebook pages, which actually became very strong. They didn't think, we didn't think that way as we started those Facebook pages. It was all about audience. But after that, as Facebook started to roll out media, the ability to spend dollars and buy media. Well, when you had your own page, you could leverage the data that you had in your own page to make even more efficient your media buying. And I think, you know, as we talk about social media, we talk about web two, we talk about engagement. I think there's a big thing that came with social media that helped the brands a ton, which is, by the way, going away as we speak, is access to data for targeting, right? So data has been a big, big thing that came from social media is the ability to target. And we talk about contextual and contextual was one thing when it came to webs. Now we went from contextual to data into targeting and hyper-targeting. And now we're moving away from that, going back into contextual with the ages of TikTok. But we're, we're going to get that later. But yes, that's what they were doing. Brands were building pages in order to be in front of the consumer without bringing the brand, but bringing the topic that they are part of and start introducing the brand with it. Now, of course, we're in the, we're just past sort of the era where brands sort of took over social media. We crashed the party a little bit. Social media is starting out as a way to connect people to other people, just like mobile phones started out as a way to connect people to other people on the actual phone. Marketers do what we do. We came in, we took over, we turned everything into a selling tool. As you said, we're at the point now where there's less data available, partially because these platforms want to charge for it, but also because yeah. honestly, we all remember the great Facebook apocalypse of January 2018, where Mark Zuckerberg gave us an unprecedented level of visibility into Facebook's algorithm. 
where he straight up said, we're going to deprioritize, you know, posts that are, you know, for passive consumption. This platform is for is for meaningful interaction. He didn't say engagement. He said meaningful interaction. So, of course, what do brands do? They figure out meaningful interactions. And that brings us more to what you're doing now, which is in addition to cutting edge and innovative Web 2 stuff, you are a pioneer of Web 3 as well and of what we've called digital, physical digital (laughs) experiences. So I admittedly am a bit of a Luddite when it comes to all this Web3 stuff, but some brands are really killing it. And it's not always the brands that you would expect is another cool thing that I've witnessed about this. So tell us sort of how this shift Web2 to Web3, I think we're still in the shift. I don't think it has shifted exactly yet. So, So give us a bit of a preview of what's going on there now. What sort of things are you seeing brands doing and helping them to do regarding not only web three but also i know blockchain has a whole bunch of different applications and then there's things that that sort of merge the physical and digital that you're involved in what's some stuff you're really excited about in that space right now yeah yeah there's a lot to unpack here but i think let's start with what you mentioned actually earlier in the show was the the web three brings the word own ownership and that's really a, a key element of web three and when we talk about ownership, it's ownership of what? When it's ownership of your data, it's ownership of the goods, especially when it comes to digital. And so what people may probably remember or know the most about Web3 is, is, right? And NFTs are elements, digital elements that are recorded on chain. And so brands like, well, if you can own now a digital asset, maybe we can brand those digital assets. As a brand, that may be really nice to have my brand now in the hands of a consumer without having to be physical. We could be just through a website, through an experience in an app. We could distribute those goods. So now you can start giving, selling digital goods. And the big thing, and I talking to a lot of those brands, and the main use case for that is loyalty. And when you are able to get consumers to get access to those free digital goods, which you can buy or actually you could earn, now those digital goods can unlock a lot of other experiences. And now you can use this big word, which I don't know if it's still a thing anymore. It's the metaverse, but in a, in a, in a simpler way, it's just a digital experience. Now, if someone bought, a digital good or some something that I work on right now. If you actually buy something in a store, you can also get a digital good. Now that digital good can unlock things on your own website, on a specific site that will get you access to different experiences, that will get you access to more rewards, to more discounts on the product. A lot of things. Now you're able to build a direct relationship with the user, which for a brand is key. And that's not always be easy to do, especially for brands that rely on a lot of retail. When it comes to e-com, e-commerce brands, it's a lot easier. But for a lot of those CPG brands or any of the brands that rely heavily on retail, it's very difficult. So now to be able to either get them from retail back into digital, into their own website, or from a digital experience and push them into retail, 
is something that is a really excited, exciting for brands and something that can be done with Web3, with ownership of digital goods. I really love that that point you made about how it's not just a matter of, yeah, you can go buy stuff in the metaverse. It's not a matter of like buying a fake dress made of pixels. Yeah. These things have applications in the real world. And that idea of buying something in a store and having it yes. connect to an NFT, which can then unlock things that, again, impact the real world. I mean, the 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 impact for things like consumer loyalty programs, it's just really interesting how, so again, Web 1 was read-only and you can just, you know, <laughs> broadcast things to your followers and to your audience. Web 2, you could engage with your audience and get so much more data on them because you were literally witnessing their behavior. And now Web 3, yep. you can really... When I heard Web3 is read, write, and own, I was thinking more in terms of, you know, people kind of had shares of things, people had access to things because they were open source and on the blockchain and all of that stuff. And I'm probably not making a lot of sense. Admittedly, I don't know a lot of this. But I love your point about how it lets you own your audience. It lets you kind of cut out the middleman in a way where instead of relying on Facebook to provide you with your audience's data and to provide you access to your own audience, you can provide access directly for yourself with your own audience. They can provide direct access to you. And and that's just, 100%. That's just an incredible level to be at. I know we're going to be wrapping up in a minute here, but what are some things that you think that people really need to not sleep on? When it comes to what we're coming into with this era of Web3 and physical, digital, all of that stuff, what are a few things that you think brands really need to not ignore as we move into this latest phase of brand experiences? Well, I think the big thing that brands should really focus on and not ignore, I mean, doesn't, that's not true for all brands, but for most of them, is retail. It's brick and mortar. For a long, long time, we've been saying brick and mortar retail is dead. Everything, all transactions are going to happen in the digital world. It's all going to be on your website, through e-commerce. It's all going to be on Amazon. It's not true. When you look at the new audiences, especially the Gen Z, now Gen Z goes into store to buy. And they are those, the, those audiences that were born with the phone in their hand. Those are the ones that you expect to only buy online. Well, no, they are going for the experience. They are going to the store. They want to touch the product. So yes, now it comes with a lot of other things just walking in the store. Some of the examples that we shared earlier with Web3, but also with AR, with augmented reality, you can create a lot of things. I mean, they, Snap is doing a lot of things around that. And the, that audience was born basically with Snap and that's where they spend most of the time. So. I would, if I'm a brand and I'm a consumer brand, I will really care a lot about the experience that you have at retail. Absolutely. And I, I think the the pandemic actually has also sort of brought us back to wanting a real life experience in a way. Everything was going all digital and digital first. And I think I think that the experience, I mean, this is just my theory, but I think that the experience of lockdown really made us realize that sometimes it's nice to touch things. Sometimes it's nice to be yes. able to go access something directly instead of having to plan ahead and wait for it to be shipped and all of that, but also to experience an experience. To, shopping can be fun. 
<laughs> Agreed. It, it is. And it is a way to, again, we keep using that word. It's the word experience. People want experience. People don't just want a product that is on the shelf. They want to understand the story behind it. They want to understand why they should buy it. And that's the same thing I was talking with another brand the other day around sampling. A lot of the sampling of product, beverage, and food ha used to happen at retail with just, here is the, you know, at a grocery store, taste it, you like it, buy it. Now, a lot of brands are thinking around experiential events. It's bringing the, the brand with a very unique experience that you will remember. Like I, I've seen one where an energy drink was doing a really cool yoga workout in a public space in Austin, Texas. And that the, I saw the pictures and the videos of it. It was amazing. And yes, it was attached to the brand. And yes, when you were working away from the workout, you had an energy drink in your hand. But that's how you remember the product. So that's, that's I think, what a lot of brands are thinking about. And that, that fits well with this, what we're talking about, Web3, about the metaverse. It's all about experiences. It's all about engaging the user beyond just, here's a product, buy this product, because it's a good one. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. We could go off on a whole other tangent about activations at South by Southwest, Coachella. Yes. We're seeing all this great stuff oh, yes. in our feeds. But in the meantime, I think that this has been an absolutely mind-blowingly incredible look. And I mean, we are peers. We are not old people. And we have seen no. such a shift <laughs> a lot. in our lifetimes, yes. in our short, young lifetimes. We have seen yes. such a seismic shift. I cannot wait to see what things are like by the time we're old. My goodness. In the meantime, Ben, if you could please tell people at home where they can find you, why they should find you, and what they will find there. Nice. I, for me, the main channel is Twitter. This is where I spend a lot of time. So it's B as in boy as Benoit, B-A-T-E-R-E. That's where I share a lot. Also the website of my own company called Mamoth Media. It's Mamoth, M-A-M-M-O-T-H dot L-A. And what they will find, well, it's a lot of brand work and a lot of actually thinking beyond services that we can provide to brands, but product and platform that we build for brands. I'm always thinking about what are the problems that brands run into and how can we solve those problems with tank? And so you will see a lot of very interesting work that we do either on my Twitter feed or on uh, the website. Sounds like there's a lot of interactive, engaging content, thought leadership, content marketing experiences to be had there. Definitely. Definitely. And I promise no flash on the website. <laughs> RIP flash. You know, I, 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 have to give, I have to give it some props because it got me this bling. But... That's right. R.I.P. Flash, man. Pouring one out. All right. Thank you so much for being here. This was fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining us today. Whether you are listening to the Let's Talk About Brand podcast on the Adweek Podcast Network, or if you're watching us on YouTube for the video podcast, both come out every single week. So make sure to subscribe to the Let's Talk About Brand podcast on your podcast player of choice. And subscribe to my Christine Gritman Inc. YouTube channel so you don't miss the video drop on Fridays. Be sure to join us next week when I'll be back interviewing another guest expert about another topic of branding. Bye! 
Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. 